Up next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Lovely, lovely to be with you this morning. We've got a great show. Uh, We've got coming up uh, Alia B from Voices for Freedom and Catherine Innes Carter, who's a very respected lady, who's a international governance expert. And they're going to explain to us what the government is proposing to censor you and I, because, you know, you and I have been on the radio saying things critical of the government. And so the government's going to regulate us and fine us and shut us down, not just you and me, but everyone. So we're going to have a ministry of truth and a ministry of surveillance. We're going to stop this ladies and gentlemen, so listening to Alia B and Catherine. We've got the wonderful Wally Richards, and he wants to talk about disease control today in gardening, and he's always got these wonderful insights and tips. I can't wait to talk to Wally. And Tane, a regular on Politics Explained. So listen in, going to be a great show. It's so lovely to have you along. And remember, mailbag. I love getting your texts and emails and reading them out and sharing them. Uh, inbox at reallycheck.radio. Text me at 2057. So lovely to have you along. What I want to achieve with RCR is conversation. And I think we have lost the art of conversation. With RCR, I just hope that people can learn that we can all be different, we can have our own opinions, have our own views, and have those conversations in a respectful way, because respect needs to be given, it needs to be earned, and I think that we can prove that people of all diverse perspectives, ages, opinions, can have a platform, and we can work and talk together, and so that's what I hope we get to achieve with RCR. Just independent thought, alternative thought, and I I expect that I will be castigated by many people for offering different opinions. But, you know, as I've said before, there is no such thing as a wrong opinion. Opinions are like noses. Everybody's got one. The exchange of views, fair debate, no cancelling, no interrupting, no aggressive responses. We want to hear what people have to say. Whatever side you're on, and the listener, the consumer, with that information, can make of it what they will. That is the mission. It's a good mission. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you, so get in touch with us now. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, give us an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio. Send us a text at 2057. Well, you're probably like me, sort of outraged every day by something that the government's doing or done or about to do or proposing to do, and you just can't keep up. In fact, you just want to go back to bed and pull the 
covers over your head. And I feel that way a little bit about the Department of Internal Affairs uh, proposal to censor, censor us online. I know it's important, but I really struggled to get my head around it and summon up more outrage after what we've been through this last little while. So here to help us, we've got the wonderful Alia from Voices for Freedom, one of the three ladies that saved so many of us. And we've got Catherine Ennis Carter, who's a international governance advisor, very, very well qualified uh, lady. Good morning, Ennis, and good morning, Alia. Good morning, Rodney. Oh, good morning, I called Rodney. you Ennis, didn't I? Oh, yeah, yeah, Catherine. Just, yeah let, oh. let's, let's stick with Catherine. <laughs> let's stick with Catherine. Now, <laughs> Catherine. What is the Department of Internal Affairs up to? Well, I think they're setting out a, um, a very high-level blueprint. Um, it's listed as a discussion document, and uh, this is their proposal consultation period of one month, which closes on the 31st of July. Um, so they've thrown this thing out into the uh, public for so-called consultation. And what's ahead of us is they will then draft up, draft this up into a, a form of legislation. So we're going down down the track of basically a, a proposal for extended censorship. And they're pitching it that um, they're not only looking at uh, content, uh, they're actually looking at platforms. So this is targeted about... Um, the removal of platforms as well as the removal of, of content. And what would this mean, Alia, for just everyday use, users who don't engage in hate speech, unlike me probably? <laughs> well, as far as I'm aware, a lot of what is considered to be, you know, the really truly objectionable material is already illegal. So for us, we're calling it the online censorship law because it, it seems to be very vague, and it's uh, talking about sort of protecting Kiwis from this unsafe or harmful content. So that it, it seems to be, uh, you know, not terribly well defined. And when we were in a, there was an online webinar about this a couple of weekends ago, and I asked this question of the fellow who was running it. You know, we've got this concept of safety because they want to keep people feeling safe when they use when they are using the internet and I said well you know you've got this situation where you have some people who might feel unsafe if they get hurt feelings and then you've got other people at the other end of the spectrum who may well have there may be threats to their physical safety as a result of something that's happened online so how do you define this kind of term safe and I got some sort of word salad answer back um so you know it's it, what it seems to us is just like another grab in terms of uh, um, implementing this hate speech. Uh, well, well we know with the Posey Parker visit that a lady proposing that men be excluded, biological men be excluded from women's sports and women's private spaces, we know the government and the media <clears throat> regard that as hate speech and she's Nazi adjacent. So for sure, that would come in the ambit of 
online censorship? Yes, it, it's very subjective. So, you know, the people that are looking to be creating the code or coming up with the codes are likely to be the bigger players in the industry, it's just like we have in the mainstream media right now. Yeah, so, you're, you know, <laughs> oh, you just get, you get called a name, whether it's true or not. Catherine, you're a busy lady. You're a high-flying international government's advisor. Your CV's, you know, stretches, uses about six trees, given all that you've done. <laughs> how come How come you're taking time to do this? Uh, because it's so important. I mean, um, these proposals are not just um, what's happening in New Zealand. You know, this is part of an international trend that we're seeing. And there's no doubt that across the world and in New Zealand, um, our freedom of speech is, is under threat. And we're seeing a lot of um, uh, targeting, um, attitude-based uh, uh, cancelling. You know, we can talk about woke culture. I don't want to use that term, but there, but it's everywhere. Um, we seem to be uh, surrounded by people who want to uh, close down and cancel um, any thought or any um, any kind of um, messages that uh, that they don't approve of. And it seems to be that there's a lot of these people in government. Um, so, I'm, yeah, carry on. So we saw Don Brash, former Reserve Bank governor, former leader of the National Party, invited to speak to Massey University about his experience as National Party uh, leader, and the Vice-Chancellor banned him from coming to the university on the basis of health and safety. So presumably, he could be a target. He's got a blog. He posts his views on his blog. This censorship could go straight to him. Yeah, it'll go straight to him. It'll grow. It'll go straight to um, anybody who's who's posting um, through their own website or their own blog or whatever. But it'll also go straight to all of us who are um, posting on um, other platforms. And by targeting platforms as well as actual content, and they say they're not targeting content, but in fact. If you read the document properly, it, it is. It's, go, it's going there. Um, by, by doing that, you know, it's significant um, government overreach um, into the space and into the space of what people can say. I mean, we've joked about uh, PC uh, stuff and having to conform on mainstream media you can only, um, you know, you can only get featured if you go along with the, the official narrative on anything or on what's generally accepted as, as PC-ness. Um, so we've seen, we've seen that for some decades, and we've, but we've gradually seen an escalation of all this. We've seen cancelling. We've seen um, uh, opposition. People are, are allowed to go and disrupt it, somebody who was given um, the space to speak uh, at an event, and I'm talking about Albert Park, as you were. Um, uh, and um, but instead, we have this cancel culture that it's okay to shout down somebody um, if their opinions don't agree with what um, certain groups of people think. Well, we can see it with the mainstream media or the legacy media, New Zealand Herald stuff, Otago Daily Times. 
Radio New Zealand, TV1, TV3, where anyone with a counter view to the official narrative doesn't get interviewed, simply gets described usually in unfavorable terms and exaggerated uh, ways. And they must hate, when I say they, I'm not even sure who the they are, but the characters that are doing this, they must hate the fact that we post on Facebook, we post on Twitter, we have blogs, and indeed, we have Reality Check Radio. That that must drive them bonkers because we're able, through those platforms, to challenge the legacy media and the official narrative earlier. Yes, uh, well, we saw very quickly with Voices for Freedom that uh, they utilised the portal that they had to the management of Facebook, where we're assuming, because we got taken down without any warnings uh, very abruptly. Um, you know, so we as an organisation have already experienced huge censorship as it is right now without any of these extra laws coming into play. Uh, we, you know, we've been uh, censored by who we, like any, all sorts of um, printers, merch companies, online event management, venues, Facebook, YouTube, uh, other social media, Instagram, that sort of thing, uh, billboard companies and advertising providers. And what we found is, you know, the common denominator with a lot of these things is that the government is spending and pumping huge amount of money into these different um, uh, organisations and industries by way of advertising. And so, you know, there's all these kind of conflicts of interests that are set up there as well. And so you, you're layering this this new kind of proposed law on top of all of that that's already happening. It's really going to uh, be a big deal for organisations like ours who are trying to present a different side of the story on on the internet. Um, we currently do have a Facebook page for RCR, but we are very careful with what we post there. Catherine, who's going to be the censor-in-chief in all of this? Do we know? Well, this is really very interesting, and I think um, there are two reasons why we should be really concerned about this, and one is what I said before, that it's it's not just um, something happening in New Zealand. It's an international trend to shut down freedom of speech. Um, and the second thing I think we should be very concerned about is exactly what they're proposing. Um, so once you delve into it, there are a number of huge areas of concern. So basically what they're talking about is setting up an uh, independent regulator. And as Alia said earlier, um, they, they actually make quite a lot on their proposal of the fact that there's already about 10 organisations who are, who are in this space with some sort of um, monitoring and control role over um, uh, illegal material, um, objectionable material, material, and they're not saying that um, these 10 organisations uh, are going away, but in addition, we're going to have this other entity. So um, I sat through their, uh, both information sessions and at the second one, um, I posed the question about how you can have an independent regulator. Mm. It's complete. It's a complete oxymoron mm. because, um, uh, you know, uh, regulation is a government function. It's all about government. 
you can't have an independent regulator. And so there's some real contradictory uh, provisions in this whole proposal. And they're saying that in terms of function, this independent regulator will manage the whole legislative framework. And at the same time, they're trying to say that this is independent. So when I asked about this, um, the person who was fronting the information session said that the entity that they think will be set up out of this is probably going to be a Crown entity. Well, you know, I've advised county uh, Crown entities through my career and we've never been any any doubt whatsoever that Crown entities are government. Mm. Um, and so, you know, they're saying these uh, really contradictory things. So it's state censorship. Of course it's state censorship. And so, it's... It's state censorship by the state deciding what is acceptable and what is not. Absolutely. And the definitions that they're using, which are, are also a problem, uh, they're defining uh, um, that their focus is on harmful content, which is defined as content which causes any kind of loss or damage uh, to anybody who experiences this harmful content. And then they talk about unsafe content, and unsafe content is identified as the risk of harmful content or the risk of harm. So they're not only going, going to regulate you know, what can already be uh, identified easily as harmful content because it's actually caused uh, some loss or damage. But they're going to regulate for the potential, and I'm not sure how, you know, they, with definitions like this, how are they going to define what and, and regulate what is unsafe content and the potential for risk? So we so, could have, uh, yeah, we could have my friend Kate Hanna and it seems to me that she's in charge of misinformation and disinformation and advising government over that. And as far as I can tell, anyone that disagrees with her is a Nazi and needs to be shot down, shut mm. down. She could be the censor-in-chief. She's an obvious <laughs> pick, that, right? that be fun? <laughs> what a horrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, she's oh. an obvious pick, right, because she's expert in deciding oh, ab- what I can say. Yes. And she has yes. no she has no hesitation in declaring speech to be hateful and unsafe. Oh, or genocidal, and, even. Yes, genocidal, and, and flinging yeah. flinging the the accusations, you know, wide, um, like. Uh, and there'll be no wide. there'll be no proper recourse. Because this isn't right. like a legal test. There's no going to court and arguing your case that you didn't defame someone or you didn't have that pornography, which are all criminal or taught um, breaches. This is just going to be the government pulling the rug from under you, like they've been doing uh, surreptitiously now, and saying, oh, your your Facebook page is gone. Uh, those posts have been pulled down. Um, sorry, Reality Check Radio, we heard that Rodney Hyde was questioning some government minister's uh, sanity. Uh, that minister's terribly upset. You're gone. Uh, and that's it. Hmm. That's the law. Yeah, well, um, many people can testify that this kind of censorship is is happening already. 
I mean, yes. nobody has, um, um, you know, a lot of people ha have talked about the censorship yes. that's going on now. And yes. so we're going to have a whole big new bureaucracy around this um, new Crown entity, the regulator, um, to do more of this. I mean, it's just... Isn't it even a bit creepy that <laughs> they feel the need to be monitoring? Well, well uh, they're monitoring anyway. Let's face it. We've seen some OIAs where they're talking about I us. mean, but, can, uh, you, can you... So, so there's someone paid for by the taxpayer sitting there now, Alia, monitoring what Voices for Freedom are saying. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, they're just... Has to, yeah. I mean, we, we see the results of that all the time, and and we have the media as well on, on RCR that are listening in, and reports come out occasionally from that. Uh, but the but the thing I think oh, well, that hello that might be hello to the prime minister's <laughs> department hello to the department of internal affairs and all my friends there hello um, and they're just sitting there recording this like you're dealing with the East German police back <laughs> in the bad old days right remember that movie where that guy was creeping around listening into those family conversations and deciding who was you know, on board with the state and who wasn't. This is exactly what we're dealing with in New Zealand with this legislation. And now you have got me outraged. I mean, it's just well, be, because you can't a, believe it. There's fines as well, Rodney, that are up to a couple of hundred thousand. Yes. So, you know, that that's going to be a really quick way to shut people down, right? Like, because who's got that kind of change jingling around in their back pocket? I'm yeah. not here. My name's not Rodney Hyde. Uh, someone, someone's, <laughs> someone's pretending to be me. Uh, I don't even have the internet, so it can't be me. Someone's taken over my. I'm a hologram. Oh my god! Now, who of a political who? What's who's the minister or MP in charge of this rubbish? I'm not sure who's uh, who's the minister for internal affairs at the moment, but that's the. That's the over overreach. Well, because um, the, the Department of Internal Affairs actually has about 13 ministers because um, it does everything. It's one of those catch-all mm. departments. Have we had the government say they're hot for this or are they playing it cool because we're heading into an election? No, I think um, there's no... Um, I think there's no disguising the very deliberate way that they've put this out now. I mean, obviously, um, the government's trying to get through all things, you know, that they want to get through before the election. This is obviously one of them. But um, they're also uh, saying that, you know, we, we won't be, uh, it won't come before the parliament yes. in the form of legislation until next year. And that's, um, but I think it's very deliberate that they've put it out now. And of course, one of the, you know, there's all sorts of techniques and tactics that you can see in this report. One of them is nudging. Um, and they're saying, oh, you know, we're getting behind other countries and these kind of um, uh, social media controls. So we should, you know, we need to catch up internationally. And um, then, uh, you know, there, there's all these general assurances about safety and the examples that they use of 
unsafe or harmful content are things um, like uh, giving children bad information about things like anorexia and um, uh, eating disorders and and stuff like that, you know, that everybody could sign up to and say, yes, mm. you know, we don't want to see that sort of content online. But, of course, it's not just for that. And those things are largely illegal anyway. So, you know, and the that- it's the principle here because once they get the principle over the line, they're away. Well, they're making the point that, you know, they're not dealing with illegal content. There's, um, you know, there's enough in, in place already to deal with illegal content. So that's why this is a concern because they're reaching into these areas of um, unsafe, harmful, you know, it's way going a step beyond um, illegal content. Before going to you, Ali, I just want to make it clear to the Department of Internal Affairs that we're uh, fully compliant and they just need to let us know what questions are inappropriate and what answers are unacceptable and we will fully comply. Just send us a list. Now, Alia, what are our dear friends in the Green Party? Uh, they come out against us? Surely. <laughs> I would doubt it. <laughs> really? What about the Great National Party? Where are they on this? That's a good question. I'm not actually across any of. I haven't heard of anybody coming out well, in a big that, way about isn't this. Isn't that scary? No, no. It's it's being very um, quietly massaged through, and I think the intention is, um, first of all, you know, they've they've put out uh, a couple of other things, and it's interesting the timing. They're obviously put out during this month of uh, so-called consultation about this online proposal. Um, And that's a report that's been released by the Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet, which they've held for nearly a year and suddenly thrown it out uh, because they can use a couple of statistics in it to talk up the fear of um, this uh, unsafe content online. And, of course, the other one is the undercurrent um, documentary, which you're aware of and um, which we uh, spoke about before. Um, so I think it's quite deliberate that they've put these things out to support uh, people thinking, oh yes, this is a good thing. We m- we must have uh, we must have more control well, and regulation. Well, we have hmm. seen we have seen our legacy media say that any questioning of catastrophic climate change will not be considered in their publications because they say Mm. that's giving, what is it? It's giving a platform to wrong think or Mm. whatever word they use. Oh, COVID, uh, um, climate change denials. Yeah. Then they will also not brook any discussion that the treaty doesn't involve a partnership and therefore co-governance is a necessity because of the treaty. Now, I personally believe that's totally wrong. And um, But the point is, I can't get on any legacy media to have that discussion and debate. We've seen Julian Batchelor going around the country where his meetings are being attacked uh, by protesters, so they're clearly unsafe. So he will be denied um, any ability to publicise his meetings online and, or in the paper. We've seen Bob McCroskey from Family First wanting to start a petition 
uh, legally defining a woman as an adult human female, and he's been denied the ability to advertise that in any of the media. So presumably he will be denied the ability to do that uh, online um, and on and on it goes. And this is here and now. You can see how these topics um, can easily be wrapped into uh, wrapped in under these definitions of um, if they don't meet the the harmful content definition, they can be held to meet the unsafe de- uh, definition. So you can see how these topics uh, can all easily be wrapped into this. But I just wanted, can I talk for a minute about the functions of the so-called independent regulator? Catherine, the platform is yours. I think it's important to you know to un- understand the scope and the function. So. What they're talking about here is um, all media. So all media will be brought under this into this so-called uh, cohesive, comprehensive framework. And then the functions will include, so this so-called regulator, which is a government department, basically. Let's be clear about that. It's not a person. Um, but this entity will develop with consultation with the industry, codes of practice, which will then become the Bible by which these um, platforms have to function. Then they, uh, this entity, regulator entity, will have um, monitoring and auditing um, of compliance functions. So they will require reports from all the platforms. Um, they have enforcement functions, so they can take down content, they can take down platforms, and they can is- initiate prosecution actions. They'll report to Parliament on uh, the outcomes that Parliament sets in this area, and this entity will be set up with funding for education and awareness raising programs. And In the um, second information session, I asked the question about whether these education and awareness raising programs, was that going to be going into schools and into the education curriculum? And they said very clearly, yes. And this is where, you know, they've discovered that schools are a great way, you know, to to get across, across whatever indoctrination you want to get across. We've seen this with the, the new curriculum. We've, uh, we've seen this with um, uh, Inside Out, the transgender activist group going into schools, running programs. You know, we, we've seen it with the, with the whole COVID situation where kids were um, pressured about taking the vaccine. So, you know, the, the people in government have discovered that, um, Getting the kids early and getting into the schools is a very important way of getting this propaganda out. And I think I, I, I think I, I refuse to call this new proposed crown entity um, a regulator. It's it's going to be it's going to function as as a ministry of truth. And we've we've seen the foundational attitude about the single source of truth. Um, but it's also going to be the Ministry of Surveillance. So, uh, Alia, what can yes. we do to express our opposition 
and our outrage to have a ministry of truth and a ministry of surveillance. Oh, yeah. I, mean, it's, I just think it, it's incredibly important at this point of time that we have to keep showing up and we have to keep having our say. I know that it has been disappointing some of the other outcomes recently with the likes of the Therapeutic Products Bill and that. But it's an election year. We have to keep showing them the size of this, uh, you know, the group of people who are opposing this sort of thing by having your say, get your feedback in. You've got until uh, Monday evening, I think it is the 31st of July, to submit some feedback. It's really easy to do. We've done a lot of the um, the legwork on that. Our um, head of legal, Katie Ashby Coppins, has put together a fantastic resource that you can use. Um, so just pop over to defendfreespeech.co.nz and you can fill in, um, you can grab, you can get access to a template that has a whole bunch of different bullet points that you can choose from that you think that you agree with that you would like to put in into your feedback to submit into um, the DIA. So some of the different uh, headings that we've got that have bullets underneath, uh, censorship is not the answer to speech we do not agree with. The codes are a loophole to bringing in hate speech legislation. The dominant industry players will dictate the censorship code. An unfair compliance burden will be put on um, smaller New Zealand media outlets. What constitutes harmful content or unsafe content is subjective. An unaccountable regulatory body is not democratic. And lastly, participation in a particular group should not afford individuals with special rights. So there's heaps and heaps of different uh, points that you can choose from there to have your say. I think it's important that you that we don't do, uh, you know, copy and paste kind of everybody's the same um, mm -hmm. feedback given because they get dis disregarded. They don't have as much weight as if they're more individualized. And of course, if you have your own points to make, include those in there as well. But it, it really isn't doesn't need to be um, a scary job to do. It's relatively simple. Just uh, follow the instructions that are on that on that That's site. Defend defendfreespeech, all one word, dot go, yes. dot nz. Um, Catherine, any last points you'd like to make for us? I think just from what Ali was saying, um, uh, Voices for Freedom um, has done a fantastic job with summarising the proposals and the concerns. It's quite an easy template to use, so I'd really... Um, encourage people to get their submissions in. And on that, I want to say two things that are really important, I think, at this stage. People might be thinking, oh, well, you know, the government's probably going out and we're going to get national. But, you know, um, things uh, tend to roll on in the public sector. And this thing won't go away if we no. end up with a national government. It's going to be there. People are working on it. They're already working on um, thinking about the draft uh, legislation right now, um, and it'll come back in another form, um, and it will, regardless of whether there's uh, a national government or not. Um, that's one thing. And so we've got to uh, get a lot of submissions in so that an incoming government is looking at um, knowing that there's a lot of opposition to this. That's really important. We've got to influence whoever is in um, after the election. And the second thing that I've been talking to people about recently is that, um, 
you know, it's easy for people to get discouraged when they're writing OIA requests or submissions on things or letters to cabinet ministers because we keep getting these fob-off um, responses. But it's absolutely important that we have the documentation there because whenever this cover-up and every terrible thing that's happened during this COVID cult um, starts to get overturned, you know, then we've got all this documentation there of what we've had to try and fight against and the evidence that's been, been put up before government um, for them to consider that they've brushed over. So we've got to have the submissions and we've got to have this documentation. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. There's your task uh, for the weekend. We've got one more. Monday. Oh, Alia, one more. I've got one more. I was just going to say, it's one thing to listen to this interview on the radio, but the other really helpful thing to do once it goes up on replays is please share it within your network so that other people can hear about this this issue and that they can have their feedback as well. If you thought having the Prime Minister be the one source of truth on all matters COVID was over, <laughs> This, it's just starting because you're going to have one source of truth across everything and it's going to be permanent. That's what's being proposed here, ladies and gentlemen. That's not hyperbole. This is the inevitable consequence of this proposal that's before us. And right now, we're in a, we have an ability to have our say. So hop across, please, by Monday. By Monday, five o'clock it'll be at www.defendfreespeech.co.nz. Make a submission. Get all your friends, all your family, everyone that associates with you on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram to do likewise. Why? Because what can be more important than you and I talking? You talking to your friends, you talking to your uh, supporters, you having a debate. Well, the public square now is online. And clearly, the government hates it and they want to shut it down because they only want you saying their agreed narrative. And I've got no doubt the ACT Party, my old party, the National Party, backbone of a jellyfish, the Greens, they're all hot for this. So we have to rely on people power to stop it. We've been joined by the wonderful Alia B, who has confronted head on what the state will do to shut down free citizens from having their say and from freedom of association. And we've had the wonderful Catherine Ennis-Carter. Thank you, ladies, for your time. Thank you for your efforts on our behalf. And thanks for making it that all we have to do is not run off to World War II for our free speech. So far, all we needed to do is pop across to www.defendfreespeech.co.nz and make a submission. My goodness, surely we can all do that. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Thank you for coming along, but thank you even more for filling out that submission. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them, but... Practicing them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion. 
common sense and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Thanks for tuning in to RCR, Reality Check Radio. If you like what you're listening to, or even if you don't agree with what you're listening to, then get in touch with us now. You can text us with your message to 2057. That's 2057. Or if you'd rather email us, you can at inbox at realitycheck.radio. We would love to hear from you. So get in touch with us now. You're on Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. And now we've got some earthy Real Talk gardening with Wally Richards. Good morning, Wally. Good morning, Rodney and everybody else out there in our radio land. Now, I worry about this, Wally, because... You spend a lot of time writing emails and uh, talking to me about gardening, and you spend a lot of time with our listeners and your customers packing up, packing up their supplies and posting them off and all that administration. Do you get some time to garden yourself? Um, I wish I did. <laughs> I really wish I did. Like, I, I, I get up in the morning and I think, now I've got to do that, and I still haven't done it. The, Next day, um, just one thing after another. Um, yeah, I have to make time. It's better planning, but uh, at times you get so busy. I've got to prune my roses still. I haven't done that. I've still got to plant those seedlings we talked about last session. Um, I haven't done that. I've got to sort out my strawberry plants. I haven't done that. And then I've got to sort out my glass houses and all the plants that are finished for the season, get rid of them and, and get ready to start again. And I should yeah. be germinating some seeds of tomatoes and stuff, but I haven't you're, done that either. You're like you're like the carpenter that has all those jobs to do around home and can't do them and the house is falling to bits because they're that busy working on everyone else's house. Yeah, yeah, true. It's quite sad, isn't it, that you love gardening and you can't get at it enough. But I can think about it. Yes. But you love, <laughs> I noticed that you love people even more. So you love your customers, don't you, and talking to them? Well, I, I love helping people uh, with their gardening endeavors because um, I mean, to say the worst thing of all is for people that are not sure about what they're doing and they need some guidance. And um, I can do that very simply and very easy over the phone. No problems at all. Um, and you love doing it? Yeah, I love it. Um, I was I had a lady yesterday, um, an elderly lady, well-experienced gardener, and um, she had some uh, problems, and, and I was able to solve them simply. 
and, and it was in regards to garlic with garlic rust. It was in regards she she was going to buy a product off us to help naturally sterilize her soil in her glass house because she has not had success with tomato plants for the last two seasons, right? So we've we've filled out the order. We're in the process of doing the um, credit card thing. And I said, but, and then I started asking questions. I said, do you grow potatoes? She said, yes. I said, now, have you had any problems? She said, yes. I said, what are the problems? She said, dark rings in the potatoes. I said, you've got psyllid. You haven't got a soil problem. You've got a psyllid insect problem, which she didn't know about. I said, this is why your tomato plants get so far and basically die. I said, what you need is not this at all. I'm not going to sell it to you because you're wasting your money. It's not going to do a thing. What you need is a cell strengthening kit, which will strengthen your tomato plants as they grow. So when the insects attack later on and the nymphs try to feed on the plant, they can't pierce the plant to feed. And hence, they die of starvation very quickly because they get so young, just hatched out. I said, use this kit and then you'll grow tomatoes again. She said, oh, that's so wonderful, she said, because <laughs> I, I love growing tomatoes and, and sourcing them and doing all this, uh, and I haven't been able to do so for the last two seasons. Well, you've got a wonderful name across New Zealand for helping people, and you must have over the years built up a huge set of relationships with people. Yeah, yeah, no, it's I'm well known, but I'm lucky. I can go to the supermarket and nobody stops me. <laughs> yes, there you go. That's because yeah. you've got your mask on, I bet. No, no, I, 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 I put, I've got a Paul Newman mask. I put I that on. put Paul Newman. Well, you look a bit like Paul Newman now you mention it, Wally. Now, tell me, you sent out an email at the weekend on disease control. Uh, tell us about disease control. Well, this is a totally new concept, and it comes basically from a very uh, highly rated professor, scientist from the States, and it's in regards to using copper fungicide. Now, the example I used was basically in regards to stone fruit and curly leaf. So nectarines, peaches, beginning of the seasons, leaves start to come out. Next thing, they get all distorted with bubbles mm -hmm. and red, and it's called curly leaf disease. And hence... What happens is if a lot of the leaves are damaged as such, they can't photosynthesize, they can't get energy from the sun. As a result of that, the fruit that is set will tend to drop or some of it or the whole lot. And if the tree gets really badly affected, it will die. Okay. Now, what we've normally done in the past is spray the tree with a copper spray. So it could be copper oxychloride, copper hydroxide, or in our case, my one is um, uh, Wally's liquid copper, which is copper sulfate, right? And 
The problem, of course, then is you spray the tree, but it rains, copper washes off. When the uh, when it rains, that's when the spores from down below get splashed up onto the tree and it attacks the disease, um, well, affects the leaves. Um, so you put rain garden with the copper and that prevents it from washing off in the rain. So you've got that protection for 14 days. But the leaf, we've always said, has to be covered during, as it grows. So what you spray today Within seven days, the leaf has got bigger and it's not no longer covered the whole leaf, only the part you sprayed. So you've got to spray every seven to ten days as the leaves are growing. Even when you do that, chances are some or a lot of the leaves will still succumb to the disease, right? Now, this professor from overseas, he said... The copper fungicide actually doesn't do anything except some of it gets into the plant, and as a result of that, that's why it has a limited success. So he said what you need is a copper nutrient, which means it works from inside the plant rather than from the outside the plant, which the copper fungicide sits on the leaves. Now, the old thing, too, about driving copper nails into your tree, so the tree takes up a, a small amount of copper off the nails, translates through. Some people have a bit of success with that, um, but once again, it's hairy-fairy. Um, the tree's got to get that copper into itself. This new product, when I heard about it um, from a... A place, well, it's a company in Australia called Nutritech, right? They produce it. And I talked to the New Zealand agent, and he was saying that they trialled it on a tree um, at one stage, and they didn't spray the whole tree. They only sprayed a few branches of the tree, right? And they left the rest of the tree without. Now, he said those branches and leaves that they sprayed was completely free of curly leaf, but the rest of the tree had curly leaf. And the following season, without spraying at all, that part of the tree still didn't have curly leaf, but the rest of the tree did. Right? Wow. So it was still active within the tree, the copper. Now, the copper um, is an essential, light, uh, essential element also. And it also helps photosynthesizing. It does a whole lot of things, which I wrote in the article because mm -hmm. I took it off um, another article which had been written. So I put this out, and it makes sense that instead of having something on the outer leaves, which is going to wash off and affected by weather, etc., put it in the inside of the tree and then the tree has the full benefit of it, and that's why it helps control or prevent diseases such as curly leaf. Now, it, it's not only curly leaf on stone fruit trees, but let's look at black spot on roses and, and a lot of other um, plants, which from the limited research I did, 
there's a peacock disease which affects avocados or something. Uh, it's effective on that. I, I didn't look at all the studies uh, because I just didn't have time. So my thoughts are your roses or other plants where you've got plant leaf diseases, rust, black spot, whatever. Um, These are all fungus diseases. Yes, yes. Please. So um, if you spray the plants with this product, uh, which is Wally's Super Copper Nutrient, so we distinguish it from a fungicide and we call it a nutrient. Mm -hmm. So it's a plant food, um, mm -hmm. pure and simply. It's very systemic. It goes through the plant. So at this time of the year for your curly leaf, the trees are not moved yet. They're just sitting there dormant still. It won't be long before they will start to um, bud swell and move. So at this point in time, the recommendation is you spray the leaf, the branches, which are going to have the leaves and fruit, with the copper nutrient at 10 mils per litre, right, which is full strength application, right? Then a little bit later on, when you're getting some leaves out and there's a, a reasonable show, you spray at the maintenance rate, which is five mils per litre. Now, if it's in flower, which could well be at that point of time, um, you spray at the end of the day when the pollination is finished for the day so you don't interfere with the pollination. Then a bit later on again, after the fruit is set, and you've got a good show of leaves, you'd give it back up another five mil um, per litre um, application, and that should hold you fast. Next season, you could take a um, gamble and not spray at all and see if you get any curly leaf or not. No, Chances no. are you may not, right? Or you may give it a maintenance dose after leaves are out of five mils per litre. It's up to the individual. And also with gardeners, um, it's up to them to try it on other plants, such as roses, or um, one lady asked, would it be okay on um, garlic for the garlic rust? I said, I don't know. I just don't know. It's a matter of trying these things and seeing if they do work or not, or how well they do work. Um, there's also brown rot on um, stone fruit. Brown rot is a bloody horrible disease. Uh, it attacks the fruit. Um, hopefully somebody can say fine. <laughs> That's your customers. Yeah. I can see you yeah. sitting there looking at customers calling me. Yeah, already. Hey, wait till I finish talking. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, we're not on air anyway. Um, yeah, stone fruit. What I have suggested and has been very effective according to the reports I've had, it's a when the fruit is formed and it's heading towards maturity, it gets what we call a brown rot, right? And brown rot the whole fruit is basically brown and rotting, right? And no no bloody good fruit, anything. Um, not even, yeah. So my suggestion in the past has been you use liquid copper, sulfur, potassium permanganate, and rain guard, and you spray every 14 days. Not the tree, 
just the fruit. Mm-hmm. So the fruit have got protection over them to prevent. Now, one guy came back to me and he said, I, I did what you said, and he said, I've got 90% of my crop was okay. He said, I think if I hadn't gone away for a couple of weeks during the spray program and missed one particular spray lot, I might have got the whole lot. I said, well, that's really good. You've got 90%. That's great. I said, what happened the year before? He said, no fruit. It was all rotten. So there's your proof that it that amount did work, right? Hypothetically, maybe just the spraying of the um, copper nutrient would be sufficient to do it. Now, there's another disease that attacks plums. It's called bladder plum, right? Which means when the plums set, for, set okay, some of them get this disease and this disease is caused the plum, rather to be round, it becomes longigated and flat and it looks like a bladder, right? And hence the reason bladder plum disease. The answer for that is to spray with copper when the tree is actually in flower, and which you only do at the end of the day so you don't affect the pollination, but you're trying to get the copper into the young embryo fruit that is forming as a, as a result of pollination. Now, I, I'm pretty sure if you've got bladder plum and you use this copper nutrient, which will be working from inside the plant, it will do the trick. And you spray before it flowers, and then you spray again after it's finished flowering, the fruit is set. And that, I think, would be 100% successful. Mm. Now, there's another important thing too. A lot of people will spray copper fungicide with conquer oil, right? Now, the idea of the conquer oil, and this is a thing from Yates from way back, they used to say, well, um, you should put the two together and spray. And the logic of the oil is if there's any insects, such as mites or thrips or something or other, the insects will get smothered by the oil, right? And, and that, that's the purpose of action. You can do it any time of the year, as long as it's out of sunlight, um, and effectively smother um, some of the insect problems we have. Now, when you put the copper and the oil together, um, which I do, used to do that, Every time, and I had a plum tree that had bladder plum, right, and at the appropriate time I'd mix the two together and spray the tree, I'd, I'd get some fruit, but there would still be a lot of bladder plum, right? So one particular Sunday I went to do this and I didn't have any conquer oil. And I couldn't be bothered going out to the garden centre to get some, and I thought, oh, I'll just do it with the copper. I did with the copper, 100% success, no bladder plum. So obviously the oil and the copper together reduces the effectiveness of the copper. So, and and why spray with the oil anyway, unless you did have an insect problem? Mm. It's only making Yates more money. Take me back to your email you sent out. What was the response? Mm. Look, 
yesterday, I, I was taking like two or three orders off my email and, and I'd be ringing the people up and, and sorting out the mode of payment, et cetera, et cetera. And then I look at the email and there's another half dozen bloody orders. <laughs> I, I sat here all day, you know. Pulling orders. <laughs> and we ended up with a big pile of orders for this. And, and that's, mind you, my uh, article goes out to several hundred people, uh, including gardens. And, and even a couple of garden centres uh, got onto the bandwagon and they've ordered some. What's the product called? It's called Wally's Super Copper Nutrient. And tell me this. This is what I don't understand about gardening. If I had a plum tree or a stone fruit tree or or roses, I thought you said, Mm -hmm. would, if I had no problem last year, would I still spray it just to avoid a problem, or do I wait till I have a problem? Um, my thoughts are wait till you've got a problem. Okay. I mean, so if your plant is healthy and you're doing all the right things with the soil, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you won't have a problem. Why waste your money buying a okay. product that is not going to do anything of any consequence? There is one aspect with the copper, according to the uh, information I got, it does actually help uh, increase the immune system of plants. Um, it makes them more uh, able to photosynthesize better, so they get more energy from the sun. So it's there is not some, just these disease control. Yeah, there is some plus sides of it. So theoretically, on that basis, if you had the product and you use it at the maintenance rate, which we say is five mils per litre of water, and you spray your plants just once, that's going to do some good. It's probably like giving them some nice real plant food um, or um, one of the tricks I like to use every now and again, of course, is dissolve some molasses into um, like a tablespoon of molasses. Have I told you this one? No. I call it liquid sunshine, right? And I picked it up from an old gardener from Invercargill who told me about it, you get a tablespoon of molasses, you um, dissolve it in hot water, so it mixes well with the water, you let it cool down, and then you spray the foliage of plants. Now, it's carbohydrates, which the plant has doesn't have to get sunlight to um, photosynthesise to produce carbohydrates. It's got freebies, right? Mm-hmm. It's fast food, freebies. Now, interestingly enough, and I haven't experimented um, too much with this, but according to the pundits, that if you were to spray the foliage of a plant, say every week with the carbohydrates, the leaves will get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Now, the reason is, the plant's getting this free stuff, right, and it wants more. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a plant. If you put a plant, like, next to the windowsill, all the leaves will face out to the window, right, mm. because it's looking for light. That light will be converted to sugars, carbohydrates, right? 
And if you turn the plant around so the leaves are facing back inside again, it's only within a few days it's, it's turned itself around. Plants move, but they move to light, right? And I think they move also for um, this molasses sugar mm. solution. Now, the problem we, we face, of course, with um, dimming skies, hazy skies, is that plants are not growing because they're not getting direct sunlight with nice blue skies. Now, out there in the conspiracy theorist world, which doesn't exist, the people are saying, oh, it's because they don't want us to have food and they want us to eat um, bugs and so forth, Bill Gates, et cetera, et cetera. Now, there's obviously a certain amount of truth in that because we didn't used to have hazy skies in the past, whether they're caused by chemtrails or not, I don't know. And but, we didn't used to have billionaires telling us to eat bugs. Yeah, we used to have beautiful, <laughs> fluffy white clouds and blue skies, right? Mm. Now, we don't see those big fluffy clouds much anymore, and we don't see the blue skies so much. It's, it's really severely affected locally, the farmers, because um, the grass wasn't getting – it was growing because of um, – light, etc., but it, it wasn't getting the carbohydrates and the cattle weren't getting um, that and hence the milk production, etc., etc., was, was reduced. I noticed that in my um, glass house, my cucumber plant fruited and I ate a cucumber before I got to eat a tomato. Now, that's unusual. You usually have the tomatoes first and then the cucumber follows up in behind, right? So I put it down that the cucumber has got quite a big leaf, right? And the tomato has a smaller leaf in comparison. So even though there is reduced sunlight, the cucumber could catch her more because it had a bigger solar panel, mm. basically mm. called it a solar panel, right? The tomato smaller leaf, not so such a big surface area, and so that was slower in growing and hence produced fruit after the cucumber. Now, if I'd been diligent and I'd got some molasses out and started spraying the foliage, the leaves on both plants would have got bigger. And if I did that on a regular basis, like every few days, um, I would have dropped much, much earlier. And, and, and getting those bigger leaves because of the molasses that doesn't come at the expense of the fruit. It means that you've got a bigger surface area of leaf, therefore the plant is taking in more energy and therefore you're getting better fruit. Yes, yes, because it also means having a bigger leaf um, that whatever sunlight they can get hold of, um, it's going to be more of mm. it. It's mm. like having a bigger solar panel. If you have mm. a small solar panel, you might create one amp of electricity double the size you've got two amps or more i um put molasses in my compost and yes. um i i gotta tell you about my compost wally i can't believe it i got several little truckloads um from a friend who kids have horses and he's sick of all the poo piling up 
And he very kindly, well, he was very pleased. He was pleased to get rid of it. Or he's not been lately because he got his truck stuck. But he delivered me a whole lot of horse manure and I mixed it up. And he just left it in a pile and I put some molasses in. I had some worms in my worm farm. I took half of them and put it in and I put some straw in. Oh, I have used so much of it in the garden, but I can't believe it, Wally. It's like beautiful, rich dirt. Yeah. You wouldn't believe it's manure. You Lovely. Just, and, and, and like you can touch it, like I wouldn't touch horse poo because, yeah. But this is now like earth and filled with worms, Wally. Right. Actually, funny you used to say that. Um, when I was in Palmerston and the warehouse that we were living above there, it was all concrete outside. And I had, I think at the time, something like four, five, six Sharpays. Various times I had more or less. And because all their um, toilets were going on to the concrete, we'd have to pick it up. And I had one of those um, compost tumblers. Yeah. Which, um, I, I would put it into that. It got so heavy, the tumbler part broke because it's all full of dog poo, right? And then I, I was doing that for months and months and months, and some tiger worms must have got into there. I'm not sure whether they were there before or I put some in or, or whatever, because I, whenever I come across tiger worms coming out from under these containers and so forth, I always throw them into the compost or yeah. into the earth um, worm farm. Uh, anyway... One day I thought, oh, this thing's basically full now. I better do something with it. And I dug down and it was just seething, literally yeah. seething in, in worms. And the stuff further down was beautiful, beautiful uh, it is worm cast. Yeah, yeah. And and now I've um, – and that – I built this nursery, and I, funnily enough, built the nursery where there's the worst soil I could have imagined. It was just where I put the nursery. But now that I have spread this manure over it for the last few months, even in you know the cold months down in Otago, man, the soil and and you put your spade in. I'm I'm just proud of the soil because the soil's alive. You know, it's chock a block with worms, and I can't wait for spring. Um, right. to see what grows in it. And I feel so proud to have taken a barren bit of dirt, literally, rabbit infested, and sort of, you know how rabbits just sort of kill everything. Um, so it was that barren Otago-type ex-paddock that had just been left to the rabbits, and I fenced it off and made this manure and put this manure on it as per Wally Richard's instructions, and it's just alive. Yeah. Then when the plant's coming, you know. Um, and I've I got so excited. I've got all my um I'm I'm ready for my potatoes and yams. I've got my garlic and my shallots in. My tunnel house is going great. I've got lettuces growing in there and onions and carrots. I don't know, and I've got some brassicas, but I think they look like they're bolting. And then I built one of your benches, uh, bench gardens with the corrugated iron and filled that with the manure, and then I managed to get for free from Facebook two glass shower doors, um, and so I built them into it, so it's like a mini glass house, and I've got lettuces in that growing, 
Um, the only thing wrong with the shower doors, I had no idea how heavy they are, so they just about broke me um, putting them in and lifting it, but that works. So I'm very excited, and of course we're heading into the warmer months, um, so my manure is going to be hopefully some good payback. Yeah, and, and, and it's not even the warmer months. Like we look at the calendar at the moment and we are, we were about the 25th of July, according to my computer it is. Now, we are over just over a month away from the shortest day. So the daylight hours have increased by a, a minute or a few minutes as mm. we gather momentum mm. heading towards the longest day, which is 21st of December, which is a good day. It's my best day. Nice. So um, I, I was born on the longest day, and my mother said it was the longest bloody thing to get out of me <laughs> too. So um, good things it's the time, daylight right? hours. The longer the daylight hours, mm. the more uh, light the plants have, the more energy they get, the more they grow. And now is the time um, heading into August to actually plant up your gardens, your veggies, your your carrots, your cabbages, your cauliflowers, your lettuces, and so forth, because now they won't get a check. They will just get more light every day and grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And then you can give them a spray with molasses if you want to, just to poke them along. And the black magic, uh, not black, black magic, magic, but the um, magic <laughs> we can't say black magic. No. Gates will smack me. Um, our magic botanic liquid, uh, which also increases the plant's ability to photosynthesize because it's got some silica in it, right? Mm. Now, here's an interesting one. When we had the solid problem with tomatoes, in my particular case, potatoes are off. I couldn't grow a tamarillo. It would kill the tamarillo, and the tomatoes failed as well, right? I had a real bad psyllid problem in Palmerston North in my glasshouse and also to a reasonable degree outside. But the glasshouse, it was, it was diabolical, literally, right? My Nutritech friends told me, right, what you've got to do is strengthen the cells of the plants. And so... We got these three products. One's a soil drench, boron and silica soil drench, which you apply to the soil at the time of planting your tomato plant, and then again two weeks later. You only did it twice because boron itself, too much of it can make toxicity, right? And then you also mix up the two other ones, which is a cell-strengthening spray, and the um, super spreader. The super spreader drives the other one into the plant, right, to make sure it gets in. Well, I did that, and the seeds that I used were interesting. They came from a customer when I had a garden centre in Palmerston who was a First World War vet. He was an old man. He said, Here's some tomato seeds I brought back from Europe. He said they're very good. My I like goodness. You to, I like you to have them, right? I said, what are they called? He said, I've got no name, right? So anyway, I grew these seeds. This is going back 40 years ago now. Um, and, yes, the plants are very good. And in Palmerston, I called them Manitou Special, right? It was a beef steak 
beefsteak type tomato, nice big tomato and so forth. Great. Now, I keep some seeds in the fridge. 25 years later, right, I thought, oh, I'll see if these seeds germinate or not. And I've got a 50% strike out of them, which is really good after 25 years. So that was the the plants that I actually grew and I did the treatment of the cell strengthening on. Now, the plants grew up and they got sprayed on a regular basis after the soil drench treatment. And the leaves on these plants were monstrous. They, they were like about three times bigger than I would expect to see on a tomato plant. But I couldn't remember 25 years back what the plants were like that I grew then. So I thought, well, maybe they were like that or not. Anyway, I talked to my Nutritech people and they, they said, oh, yeah, because if you use silica into your plant, it means the plant um, can photosynthesize better and the leaves will get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like the molasses trick. My goodness. And, and so I had these plants with leaves like 18 inches, two foot long, <laughs> right, massive big leaves. And the fruit was real big fruit, beautiful fruit. Um, and it's because the plant was getting much more energy from the sun, from bigger solar panel, more electricity. Tell me, Wally, how big is the variation in your planting regime north to south in New Zealand? Yeah, well, this is difficult. I'm often asked the question, can you make a program in which you plants this at this time and that time and so forth? And the difficulty is microclimates mm. and where you are in New Zealand, right? If you're up on a mountain, you're not going to have much joy any time of the year because the temperatures and the et cetera, et cetera, it, it's just not convenient. Uh, good. Um you could have a situation that a person can grow a lot of stuff early, and we're talking about early, say, now or um, even earlier, but 100 metres down the road couldn't. The reason being trees or shelters or whatever causing a microclimate, which means mm. that area... It, Here's a good example of it. You know the corrugated iron um, uh, raised garden that I talked about? Yes. Right? Now, if you were to fill it right up to the top and plant your plants, they would grow, but they would grow also slowly. But if you were to leave 18 inches below and plant your plants. In other words, you don't fill it up to the top, you fill it up to two-thirds, and then plant your plants, they will romp. Why? Because the wind passes over the top, it doesn't upset them, and you've got that microclimate you've made as a result. Mm -hmm. So it's the iron all around, 18 inches down, and the seedlings go in. The first time I did it, I planted some seedlings of silver bee. Look, it was two, three weeks later I could harvest the outer leaves. It was so My quick. My goodness. I, um, I interviewed Joe Mackey, who you should listen to uh, on a replay because her prediction 
on sun cycles is that we're getting colder. But she lives up a mountain near Hamilton. She did tell me where, but it meant nothing to me. And she said she's on average five degrees colder than Hamilton. And uh, we got talking gardening after the show. And she, her um, late husband built this beautiful glass house because she sent me a picture of it. And she can grow tomatoes all year round. Isn't yeah. that amazing? And yeah. we, where, I, where I've got my garden, Wally, because I'm in Otago, we've got these hills, high hills. You know, there'd be mountains anywhere else, but in Otago we call them hills. Mm. And in the shortest day, we'd be down to two and a half hours of sunlight, right? And right. then when it gets midsummer, man, at 10 o'clock at night, the sun's still shining. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, obviously, I have to struggle against that sunlight hours. Correct? Yes, yes. Because my plants, with the best will in the world, even if they're warm, the wind is bad, so I know to shelter them and I've got shelters up, and when I did my corrugated iron, like you, I kept it low. Uh, I didn't fill it all the way up because the wind is um, tough. And then, of course, I've got my tunnel house. But my fundamental constraint in winter, and still now, is, you know, the sun doesn't pop its head up um, until sort of, well, at the moment, it would be popping its, it would pop the sun up at 10 a.m., um, so that's my constraint. And then start, you know, looking gloomy at three uh, mm. just because of that hill. It'll still be daylight, but you're not getting the sun. Is it the sun you need or the daylight? Um, it's light, um, and it's particular light frequencies, which, of course, the sun has. Um, in a nursery situation, what they do is they put um, – Artificial lighting in. Mm. Now, these days you've got these LDCs or whatever they call, which um, have got the right light frequency for uh, growing plants. Um, back in my time, we used to use what was called Drolux tubes, which is kind of an ultraviolet light, or uh, we'd use cool 33 white uh, fluorescence with some incandescent light, which gave um, more or less the right spectrum. Now, what you did in your glass house, you would have a switch which would automatically turn the lights on, say, at 6 o'clock in the morning and run through till after 8 o'clock when the sun is up and away. And then at the end of the day, they'd come on, say, about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and run through to 8 o'clock. And as a result of that, the plants would get this artificial light for part of the day, which would keep the stimulating growth going uh, much longer. And so you'd harvest um, or you'd get your plants into flower, whatever you're trying to do, uh, much sooner. Now, here's an interesting one. Many, many, many years ago, when I was in the nursery business, there was a conference we I went to at Massey. And there was people from all over the world there, and there was two or three uh, nurserymen from Alaska, right? And I got talking to these blokes, and, and I knew full well that, like, 
six months a year is dark, six months a year is light, right? Mm. Um, they don't have any night and day, per se. And I said to them, well, there'd be crops that, you know, take um, eight, nine months to grow, which you wouldn't be able to grow in Alaska. And they said, no problems. I said, what do you mean? They said, well, when, when the light comes on for our six months of light, it's 24 hours a day. Really? Of course it's 24 hours a day. Yeah. So what you would take you three months to grow, we can grow in one and a half months. How amazing. Yeah. But in the nighttime, the dark side of the moon, um, Pink Floyd, then, of course, you can't grow anything of any consequence unless you're using artificial light. Because I went, I spent a year in Montana, and I'll never forget arriving there, and it was um, spring, summer, and the grass, I have never seen grass like it. Everywhere you looked, and no paddocks, it was just miles and miles of grass up to your knees and everything was luxurious. And I thought, where are all the stock? And then, of course, winter hit. And for nine months, um, <laughs> it was snow on the ground. You know, we were 5,000 feet up. It was snow on the ground and nothing grew. And then when spring hit, bang, everything grew. It was so glorious and it was that sharp. And, of course, I realize it's what you're saying to us to a lesser extent from Alaska because when they got light and warmth, it poured in. And so they got a much faster growth than I'd ever seen. Right. Yep, yep, yep. So you, you, so my thing now is what I'm going to aim towards is to have a glass house that has LED lights um, on a timer, I'll need to get power there somehow. But that sounds so exciting because you could be growing under lights, um, lettuces and tomatoes all year round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is the sure. light? Do you would you need to warm it a little bit with electricity or something, or is the light enough? Well, light is a big thing, and and the warmth factor. Now, that's the other reason why the corrugated iron raised garden works because the sun hits the side of the corrugation, heats mm. up the soil inside. But here's a trick. I don't think I've told you this one. I love your tricks. Right. Okay. And I learned this one years ago. This time of the year, you might want to plant something like um, kumra or whatever, and, and they need heat. Or you might just want to um, start off some plants early Um buy seed or seedlings, and because the soil is cold, until the soil gets up to a temperature about 10 degrees Celsius, it doesn't germinate seeds and it doesn't help uh, plants grow much. That's why when we germinate seeds, we have a heat pad. We put the container on the heat pad, heat from below comes up, and the seeds will germinate as long as um, this uh, kept moist. So what you do is this, very simply. You, you make a bit of a trench, half a spade or a spade depth, right? Then you go and mow the lawn and catch all the grass clippings. And then you take the grass clippings and you layer them on the base of the trench and then you sample them down and go and mow some more and, until you've got a good thick layer of trampled grass at the bottom of your um, trench 
Then you put some soil or compost over the top of that and you plant. Now, down below, all this, as you well know, if you put a um, pile of grass together, you put your hand in it a few days later, it's bloody hot, right? So you've got all the heat, free heat from Mm. the grass decomposing. And that then also becomes food after it cools down. And that will be the heat to germinate your seeds or start your plants off, whatever you want to do. Isn't it amazing? And, of course, I'm guessing that that heat is coming from the micro, micro, yeah, the microbes, the microbes. So it's a living thing that's not just providing warmth for your plants, but nutrients. Yeah, yeah. Add a little bit of um, garden lime to that, so you keep the pH um, alkaline. Um, add a bit of molasses to it. Uh, increase the populations. You'll have a furnace going. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't you make me? I'm talking to you. I've never gardened in my life. I get so excited. I'm going to hop out to my garden as as soon as we've finished this and uh, the show and start working in the garden because it's just such a joyful thing to do, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. Tell but me. You're lucky. You got the time to do it. I'm I'm answering all the phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which. Tell us about Wally's Secret Copper Nutrient. Have I got that name right? Yes, that's one, Wally's Secret Copper Nutrient. And that's the nutrient that will deal with fungus on, you say, stone fruits, also roses. Anything else? Well, this I don't know, but um, commercially, on commercial crops, it's been used on quite a few from my understanding, with great success, right, for different fungus-type diseases, right, because it's working from the inside of the plant, not yes. the outside. And it's, and you can get that with Wally. You can ring them on 0800-466-464. They can order it on our website, which is the same. Same. Yeah. Or you can email Wally at wallyjr at gardennews.co.nz, but Wally's made a trick to cut out the people that don't follow instructions. Garden News, think about this, only has one end. And um, if you're like me, a bit slow, you'll be emailing Wally furiously with two ends. Garden News, no, Garden News with one end. Now, Wally, I have never grown, well, I've never grown anything, but this year I'm growing uh, vegetables. I've got two questions for you. One is, I'm thinking I'm going to concentrate on a few things, you know, like my potatoes, my yams, um, cabbages. I'm not going to grow a whole lot of different things just because I think I might get myself confused. Because you could you could grow, I don't know, 30 different vegetables in your garden, couldn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, what's the logic of growing three or four vegetables versus growing 30 different ones. How how do you figure that out? Okay. Well, first of all, the first criteria is what's the point of growing something that you're not going to eat, right? So you look at your diet and you say, well, we want lettuces for summer, make lettuce salads. Um, We need 
tomatoes, cucumbers, capskin. So for our sellers, we're going to grow those plants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for we might want to grow cabbages. Uh, the kids don't like broccoli, so what's the point of growing broccoli because they won't eat it? Um, mm. So you make a decision as to what you would buy from the supermarket and those are the plants you grow. Okay. Then you can extend out from that, and particularly if you're a bit of a chef in the kitchen and you might want um, cold rabelli, um, mm. which is another brassica, and um, so you grow some cold rabbi, or you might like my um, partner. She likes bok choy, so I always grow lots of bok choy for her. Well, we've got a problem in our household. My kids are virtual carnivores, right? But I always put veggies on their plate and make make them eat some. But there's a deeper problem, and my wife loves salad. Right. And I can sort of eat a salad, but I love potatoes, peas, and carrots and broad beans. Right. right? Yep. But this is this is a thing nowadays, right? And so <laughs> I've planted what I like. So we're going to be eating a lot of potatoes and yams. <laughs> Right. Yep. Yep. Um, and I, to be fair, I have got some lettuces in, but I don't know. These days, women like eating what I think is sort of, um, well, I, I suppose we call it rabbit food, but um, man, I love a potato. I yes. just think I love soaking up gravy in a potato. I love potatoes with butter on it. Potatoes to me are so delicious. And my wife can sort of, she, she'll eat a third of a potato. And you're thinking, what is this a potato? It's the most beautiful thing. Maybe I don't know. Is that a funny thing that we have these days? No. Well, we grew up eating um, uh, what potatoes and a couple of veg and, and meat. Um, yeah, and remember you know. the potatoes would have been six months old, all withered up and having shoots coming out, and we'd still be eating them, waiting. And when the new potatoes arrived, oh my goodness, mm. it was Christmas. It was, it was. It, it was, was literally the same Christmas. You have these new potatoes, and then when winter's rolling around, these potatoes had sat in a dark room and they'd got all wrinkly, and you'd be peeling about a quarter of an inch off them to get to the flesh to eat. Um, and that so that's my little thing that I'm working on, how much to plant, and I'm working through that as I learn because this is really my first season. Second thing is, um just before you go on there. Now, here's the problem. You've got lots of land, right? Yes. So you don't have a problem. You could plant heaps of stuff if yeah. you wanted to, right? Yeah. You could grow 20 rows of potatoes, yeah. right? But think about the poor people who have got very little land. Now, yes. they have to be very slick. They can't grow potatoes unless they grow them in containers. They can't grow uh, a number of things that take up a lot of room, like peas, for instance. Um, they wouldn't grow peas. They, they would grow some lettuces because lettuces don't take much room. Um, they can grow some salad crops, some spring onions. Uh, they grow some carrots. Carrots don't take much room. But they're limited yeah. by so their it's horses land for size. Courses. horses for courses. You've got to work it yeah. out. And presumably as I get experienced, I'll know what that – and here's another thing. I think flowers and roses are very beautiful. 
And my mother was a great gardener and grew beautiful, beautiful, beautiful roses. And in your emails, you talk about roses a lot. And clearly, you like growing everything. But I can't understand why I'd grow something I wouldn't eat. <laughs> and um, is that a thing too? Is that a, a, some people like flower gardens and rose gardens? And then other people like their veggies um, or their fruit trees. And here you are as a person that loves growing everything. Yeah. Um, I, I think, once again, it goes back to your childhood. When mm. I grew up and I was a young nipper, three, four, five-year-old, the house we lived in was um, had a big section and – there was roses, there was um, flower gardens, et cetera, et cetera. There was a succulent garden. There was, um, and out the back, there was um, a small lawn. It wasn't a big lawn because most of it was taken up in veggie gardens and a hen house, Chook Run. Mm. Um, there was an area to the side, I remember, um, which was a reasonably big area, which that's where we'd grow potatoes in. Um, but the, and there was fruit trees, of course, and and fruiting bushes. Um, so it was a situation where you were fairly self sufficient in basic foodstuffs, veggies and eggs, uh, and chicken street, which was a luxury in those days. My yeah. God, eating a chicken not like these days. Um, and then in the front, for uh, the people walking by, has to see something nice. Mm. The front would be the roses. Yeah, so the, the roses and the, and the petunias and stuff. And that be. was mum's job. Um, yes, yes. Um, but she she was a keen gardener, and of course that's where I got it from. Um, she grew veggies, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But harken back, she she was the youngest of a family of fourteen. Gee, and they went through the depression. They went they. They left their farm. They had to walk off a farm at one stage. Fourteen kids and the mum and dad um, just had to walk away and start again um, during the Depression. Uh, so they lived through some very, very tough times. And, of course, in those days there's no social welfare like there is today. Um, so you didn't go on the dole. You, you, you just made it happen. Um, and it was a hard-working family. Um, her brothers they were um, builders and um, blacksmiths and all sorts of manual labour stuff. Um, so, of course, they had a keen interest in growing food mm. because and, and preserving. Like, oh, my yes. God. But it was an economic necessity. Yes, it was. Um, and, and it was security because mm. um, if times got tough, you, you had a, a pantry full of Oh, you'd live for three everything. months. Yeah. You'd live for three months easy. Um, and, of course, darning socks and mending things. Um, nowadays, you can't imagine darning a sock. No. No. You go to bunny get, and I get a feeling, maybe it's just me, but we're sort of – getting back to that a bit too and the value of that. Um, so you might see me growing roses and darning socks, but I do. 
I do admire, I do admire those times now in hindsight, um, where you'd walk in and there'd be a kitchen pantry, and it'd be chock a block with ag jars and fruit. Yeah, yeah, as, as a delicious thing for dessert through the winter winter months. Right, and, um, hard work on bottling day. Oh, the- but it was fun. I mean, to say. Hawke's Bay, where the peaches and pears and so forth came from, um, she would wait until um, there was a a glut on the market and then you could get a whole case, very cheap, like five shillings for a whole case of peaches, you know, and and then the sugar wasn't too expensive and that's all you needed was the sugar. And, uh, and, and I can imagine going. Well, I can remember going up in the old Ford 1936 Ford V8 and heading up to Lowburn from Rangura at that time and getting boxes and boxes of fruit. And my mother spending days bottling. Um, and it was a lovely thing because you're a little boy helping them, yeah. And um, you felt very special. Oh, we're getting old, Wally. Um, but isn't it wonderful? I'm I'm um, going to get out in the garden later, and inspired by you, you're very wonderful. Um, you're going to be busy on your phone taking calls. I have to say, I'm still a fan. I'm a great fan of your magic botanic liquid. It's amazing. Right. Um, it's clearly boosting my my plants, and um, I'm working in with the sunlight. Uh, as it starts to come in, and I'm, I'm feeling my earth is ready to receive seedlings. And man, when spring comes, I'm going to have a great growth. We're going to have a lot to talk about. Wally, thank you for being on the show. That was Wally Richards. Uh, you can give him a ring: oh eight hundred four double six four six four. Few people were cut off while we were talking. Great thought about molasses. Like I said, I put some. Uh, I got some, you get it cheap at the supermarket, and I mix it in warm water and then let it cool down. I put it in my um, my compost, and, man, I just couldn't believe it. Who knows, because I did sort of everything. I put in worms, uh, but that molasses made such a difference to my compost, and it's filled me with delight, irrespective of the veggies that will come, just to take what was barren soil and have it come alive. Yeah. nutrients and, and and black, dark, deep earth with wiggly worms in it. So wonderful. Wally, you're on uh, Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. It's Reality Check Radio. Thank you for listening. Oh, and give Wally a call. I might. I don't think I'll probably see his number, 0800-466-464. As you can tell, he's just a passionate gardener who loves helping people. He loves plants, but I get the, I get the sense that Wally loves people even more. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Remember, email me at inbox at rallycheck.radio. Send me a text at 2057. My favourite bit, mailbag. Just finished listening to your interview, Rodney, with Ashley Church for the second time. Great interview. Very interesting. Blessed indeed to hear your opinions. And to have RCR, Jill. Thank you, Jill. That's so nice. Hi, Ronnie. Just listened to your show. Loved it. A good listen. Would this be a good time to get Gareth Sharma on your show? Now, there's a thought. That would be great. I'll reach out to him somehow. Also, every time you have an MP on, please ask about the WF. I was disappointed that 
PW, Peter Williams, like he said, is didn't ask much. Mark Mitchell, thanks, Jan. Um, here we've got some long ones, which I've read. It's about uh, trans issues, and I have read it. It's uh, who's it from? Does it say? It's just too long to read. From Robert. Thank you, Robert. I have read it, uh, and that's great. I just can't read it all. Here we come from – oh, wow, I thought that was Jill. Oh, I can't see it now. It slipped away from me. Ah, Sue, sorry. Just listening to your discussion with Ashley Church, Christianity. Oh, yes, lovely values. If and only if you were a straight white male, don't get me wrong, I despise how far the current government has taken this gender issue. What they're doing is ridiculous. But hey, I was born in New Zealand in 1950. Then the country was certainly well governed. Nobody was homeless. Nobody was unemployed. Education up to and including university was free and well patronized. At the very least, everybody learned to read and do basic arithmetic. Murder was unheard of and nobody bothered to lock their doors. But Women were expected to stay home, have children, and obey their husbands, love, honour, and obey. Men were the rulers of the household, of the country, of everything, just because they were male. And if they were gay males, they had to hide the fact on penalty of being thrown in jail. And this male rule thing was not confined to Pākehā. Women were not even allowed to speak on the marae. still a case on the marae. And nobody objected to that. In my experience, many women were far smarter than their male rulers, but they were uniformly regarded as inferior beings simply because they were born with two X chromosomes. So, yeah, mate, Christian values were just lovely, so long as you were male. I'm just saying. And by the way, no, she couldn't have pulled off going house to house vaccinating if any handpicked thugs had kicked down my door and come at me with a syringe. I would have use whatever kung fu moves my body could remember in concert with whatever sharp implements I could grab from the kitchen to defend my bodily sovereignty. Anyone who tried that would have had to be carried out in an ambulance, and it wouldn't have taken too many such outcomes before she pulled her disgusting little head in. Well, thank you for that. Um, so I know what you mean. I, I remember growing up, and I found it monotonous and, and boring and everyone the same. And women were treated differently. And on the one hand, you can say, in our household, with respect, utter respect. And in a funny way, I think my mum wore the pants, you know what I mean? But she was smart enough not to show it. <laughs> but I get it. But boy, what we've got now isn't good for anyone, including women, I don't think, because the one group that is being disrespected the most at the moment are women. Terrible. And I take your point about being fought. I taught my kids, if anyone came at them with a syringe, how to break the grip and run and say no. But there's a lot of people that don't want to be in jail and the government manages to get them there so the power of the state is overwhelming, ultimately. But thank you for that. Sue, uh, you've got the wrong idea about what should constitute a government, Rodney. You think there should be one prime minister who appoints one cabinet who have ultimate power over the country. This is what happens at the moment, and this is not democracy. 
because there's one person ruling the land. Well, to hell with that, or there's a bit stronger word. The whole problem with New Zealand is that the PM, or at least a cabinet, has unrestrained, unbridled power, in my view. Political parties should be abolished. When the United States of America was formed, there were no political parties in the country, and it worked until the power mongers took control of it. You're right, being an MP used to be and should be a public service. The duties of an MP should be to represent the views of the people who elected them. The present system allows foreign actors to control our country, and they will do it through the present party system. If abolishing parties made it hard to pass laws, fine. We have quite enough laws already. But given the present system, yes, I'm certainly going to vote for Winston. Well, good luck with that vote. Um, I think the trouble is government just does too much. Um, I want government to be about the size that I could fit it in my bathroom. And as the great Frank Chodorov said in the Andromeda, <laughs> I just don't like government. Um, we've got another Sue, and it's a long one on Christianity, and I've read it, but it's too long to read. Uh, Lucy, I listened a few weeks ago, Rodney, to your interview with Kathy Jamieson on what she had uncovered for OAA requests regarding COVID and the vaccines. At the end, Rodney encouraged people to write in if they want a copy of the info, and Kathy said she would put it into a document and share it with Rodney for the listeners if they requested it. I'm requesting a copy of this. It is not available, at least an email letting me know. Yes, underway, Lucy, that is. We're getting there. I know I've said that a while, but oh boy, we're busy. Uh, good reflection on the Netherlands beauty contest, Rodney. It seems we are being led by the blind, the deaf, and the dumb. Women are still real. Oh, yes. Women are still real. Uh, greetings. Just been listening to your science curriculum podcast with the lovely Michael. Most enjoyable. Hoping and wishing together we can all change the direction this country is going in for the better. Nicola, thank you, Nicola. Yes, indeed. Guys, come on. History shows that Winston will say anything to get into power. Uh, then we'll do what he likes. Give some coverage to New Zealand loyal who have been incidentally overtaking him in the polls. Oh, we definitely want to get Liz Gunn on. She is wonderful. From Mike. Casey mentioned the fires in Australia. I was there in the middle of the Black Saturday bushfires, and it was horrific. At 1500 on Saturday uh, afternoon in Morwell, the smoke was so thick that I couldn't see the end of the bonnet of my car when trying to get away from town. Oh, my goodness. I happened to hear some of the report done by the Victorian state government, and the most obvious thing that caused so much drama was the centralisation of the rescue services. The phone calls for help were going to a central office in Queensland, and they had no clue where to send the fire rescue services because maps were not accurate. The other major cause of loss of life was the modern-day speak that was used by radio announcers that older people didn't understand, e.g. the fire is heading northeast in the Bularara, I don't know how to pronounce that, Valley, and occupiers may be impacted by the fire. Someone 70 to 80 years old don't know or understand that the fire is moving so fast and they need to get out now. Modern speak doesn't convey the urgency of what is happening, and I lost several friends because of that kind of talk. Oh, my goodness. I'm so sorry to hear that, mate. The announcers wanted to be politically correct and sound like they were in charge. I don't know how it is now, as I've been back in New Zealand since 2017, but before we left to come home, nothing had changed. The point I'm trying to make is centralisation very rarely works, and well, for most things. Cheers, Mike. I'm sorry, but that Mike, and that must have been terrifying. Imagine it now in New Zealand, it would be in Maori. Dear Rodney, thank you for talking with Casey Costello this morning about the K-1 
continued need for addressing our COVID experience. The COVID vaccines, the vaccine injuries, the vaccine workplace mandates, the lockdowns, the fear-mongering, the TV brainwashing, and the pulp of truth, the silencing and manipulation of doctors, the control of the New Zealand media, the lies and the incorrect portrayal of what went on at Parliament, the fact that it's always referred to as the protest in such a negative light, when really it was a freedom village that resulted from so many New Zealanders questioning and outraged at all of the points above. Thank you for not forgetting so many of us share your disappointment. We need answers. Thanks, Rodney, for being a voice for so many of us. My worry is that those voted in might forget. Kindest regards, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie, indeed. Indeed. Rodney, as times get darker and darker, what was the dim light of Christianity will shine brighter? We must all pray for the truth to be revealed and the lie exposed, Paul. I'm of that view, Paul. We need to make the light of Christianity burn bright because we need belief and values and principles and respect for each other and respect for something greater than just our needs and our happiness, something bigger than all of us. Morning, Rodney. Read Isaiah 520. Woe to them who promote good is evil, and evil is good, dark is light, and light is dark. Those is where we are, and there'll be more to come. Isn't that beautiful? Woe to them who promote good is evil, and evil is good. Dark is light, and light is dark. Man, that describes our modern world, doesn't it? Kindest regards, Raywin. Thank you, Raywin, for that lovely, lovely, uh, quote of scripture. So Kate Hannah says that if we don't agree to the trans movement, that we want to eradicate the individuals thus committing genocide. Well, what are her views on Christianity? Does she really want to exterminate us? She's got to watch what she says as hypocrisy isn't good, Paul. No, indeed. They're nasty people. Hi, Rodney. Another marvellous program this morning. Casey Costello, fantastic. We need a parliament full of people like her. Yes, indeed. I wish you all the best. Thank you. I've never seen or heard a single balanced, sensible, objective comment from Kate Hanna. Never. To me, she comes across as a deeply disturbed woman. Yep. With an extraordinarily warped, extreme, and unrealistic view of the world. She is way, way down the proverbial rabbit hole. I think the fox is at the entrance and the roof is falling in. <laughs> and she's trapped there. Oh, what a great image. I wonder where her beliefs and attitude come from. I think Karl Marx. Anytime I hear or read anything about her or from her, I fear she needs to be taken into care and treated for a serious illness. Keep up the good work. We need the wonderful RCR. Cheers, Kay. I think she's on record for being a Marxist. So true, Rodney. Who would have ever believed we'd be in this place with free speech? Submission's done. It's easy and time to say enough is enough. Thanks, Rodney. You are the bomb. Oh, so nice. Go hard. Love your work. Um, that's from Kim and Rodney, putting others at risk by driving under the influence. What an absolute joke it is to them. They're just taking the, I'll say Mickey, but you know what I mean, aren't they? Pollutants, we pay them. Rodney, you're so right. Thank you. How can you trust an MP who don't hold themselves to account for their own actions? Thanks again, RCR. Hi, Rodney, loved your rant. Just listen to the gender one of one issue with the way you've tackled the issue. While I agree with all you said in your post, it worries me that it opens those opinions up to labels of bigotry, because I think most would agree that there are some genuine trans people who have identified as the opposite sex since birth. 
we have a family friend who fully transitioned years and years ago, as others have, and it was really, really hard way to live. I think your post here neglects to mention those folk, and by doing that, you just lump them together with paedophiles, the men that find cross-dressing erotic, and the poor kids that have been talked into trans identities through mental health issues or sex attraction, confusion, or by social contagion, attention-seeking, etc. You're kind of made it out to be creepy that a poor teen that's been wrongly coerced into a gender crisis is a creep for wanting to use the woman's bathroom versus some deviant doing the same. I think we need to be really careful that we don't ruin the fight by coming across as bigoted, which I know you're not. I fully agree that men and women's sports and private spaces is wrong, etc. but there are also some very innocent people in the mix. I made the mistake of private messaging a religious friend of mine when he linked the Nazis to Posey Parker on a Facebook post. I tried to explain her points, although to be fair, I don't know much about her. And also linked some videos of kids that were in the process of detransitioning and other videos on long-time trans people questioning what's now happening. And to my horror, I got a reply making me feel like a bigot. I'd not known his teen daughter was gay and now dating a trans woman. I have no doubt this young girl is lovely, if she's been made welcome in their family. And my concern is in lumping them all into the creepy box, we alienate people who may be ignorant of the problem happening at present, but also people that are struggling to help their kids and also the very few real trans people who have always hated their breasts or penises, etc. not show them off like the creepy ones now do. It's a very deep rabbit hole to go down, and most are too lazy to try, and I think it can be easily allow true bigots to surface by not clearly differentiating all the issues. I, for one, don't want to be thought of as a bigot just because the issues aren't clearly defined and identified. I'm sure you've listened to Jordan Peterson, who, although controversial to many, explains the differences very well. I hope you don't take my email in the wrong way, as I applaud all the station is doing, but I have worried about the general rant. Kind regards, Gabrielle. Well, thank you, Gabriel. I, I agree with you. It is tricky, isn't it? Because I have known, I don't even like to use the word genuine trans people, but I have known trans people. Um, they used to meet in my electorate. And of course, I knew Jude John Abaya. Well, we used to dance together. That's how we became friends. And I didn't mind them at all. And then it gets tricky, right? Because suddenly they're in the school, my kid's primary school, promoting the stuff and trying to get to them before puberty, just in case. And I don't believe that if you're born a man, you can become a woman. So Georgina Bayer to me was always a man who was a trans woman. And she wasn't a woman. I don't think Georgina Bayer thought of herself as a full woman. I mean, it's not possible. But it's tricky because I think people should be able to live as they choose as long as they don't invade women's spaces or put people at risks. But what I do see is this ready ability to say you're a woman and access girls' toilets is literally a paedophile's charter. And I think we have to call it out because we have to accept that there are men who want to chase young girls sexually and would like nothing better than to access girls' 
changing areas and toilets. And now, to avoid being called a bigot, we're supposed to go along with that. I think we have to call it out. And yes, we'll be called names, but we have to call it out for the sake of our woman. Woman generally. Woman as a group. All women. We've got to keep them safe. And if that means being called a bigot, so be it. And like you say, I know I'm not a bigot. I, I respect everyone's views and how they live. But I don't want to open up my little girls' changing rooms and toilets to every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Went over. Email me, inbox at reallycheck.radio. Text me, 2057. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Reality Check Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I do love it. And I do love your feedback. All of it. You're listening to Politics Explained. Back to basics in the political sandpit with Rodney Hyde and Tane Webster. Here on Rally Check Radio, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde, and we've got our regular uh, feature, Politics Explained, Back to Basics in the Political Sandpit with Tane Webster. Good morning, Tane. Good morning, Rodney. It's great to be well, here again. Oh, well, what do you got for me? What's What's been happening in politics? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you already know. But I think a good question for this week would be, given recent events, uh, what are the standards of behaviour required of MPs? Are, are, there, are there things written into the position? No. So for MPs, and this is quite a good thing, um, once you're elected, that's it. You're, you're an MP for the three years. Now, for memory, I don't think you can be declared bankrupt. Um, that puts you out of parliament. And there used to be a provision that you could be declared insane. I don't think anyone's ever had that. But apart from that, um, your behaviour is not something that anyone can do much about. Now, your caucus and your party leader under MMP can move to expel you and force you to go independent. And, of course, the significance of that is we have that Walker jumping bill that can see you thrown out of parliament. In the old days, they could just throw you out of the party and you'd sit as an independent. So MPs have free range. And I think this is important because it acts as a as a great... Um, it gives MPs an ability to buck the party, and we don't see enough of that. Uh, MPs are too scared to buck the party, even as it is, even though they can. They won't. And you can imagine that um, you had too much to drink and you've been questioning things and the party leader gets to throw you out of the party on that basis. Um, well, they've got to follow a process to throw you out of the party and absent MMP, you don't go out of Parliament. That's why I oppose the Walker jumping bill, because I think it's wrong that a party leader can expel, essentially, an MP from Parliament, because it just entrenches the power of the leader. I'd much rather that they, you can kick them out of your party, but they stay in Parliament. It gets different. No, I should say, the standards of behaviour uh, that are maintained are maintained in the chamber. So when you're in the debating chamber, uh, there's a high level of decorum. 
So gentlemen have to wear a tie and a suit jacket. Um, I think that's been overdone by those um, crazies that have gone in and said wearing a tie is just too much for me. I love that because it just makes people respectful and better behaved when they get dressed up and sit in the chamber. Yeah. You can imagine it if everyone walked in in T-shirt and jeans and flip-flops, that it just doesn't have that institutional respect, that historical respect. You're walking there. You walk into the debating chamber and right around the wall on two rings, and I saw it every time I walked in and every time I was sitting there, I'd survey it. And it's a memorial, each one, to all the battles where Kiwis have fought and died. And it makes you stop and think because they literally fought and died so we could have a parliament mm. and mm. debate. And you respect that. You know, if you're sitting there in jandals and flip-flops and T-shirts, it would be terrible. Yeah, I uh, just a quick point on the, the, the suits and whatnot. I, I agree with that, although... I feel some of them just need to be a bit more creative. It seems like the 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 men in in parliament's either dark grey or navy. It's just there's no creativity there. I mean, don't want to wear anything too silly, but just a little bit more. You know, I'm sure there's was work to be done there. Now on the on the issue of code of dress or whatever you want to call it, what's the deal with that guy with the cowboy hat? What's the deal? There? Well, you were never allowed a hat. And he insisted it, and because he's Maori, he's special, I guess, and he was allowed to have a hat. You weren't allowed to wear a hat into Parliament, even in the days when men wore top hats. I don't think you were allowed a hat. Um, and he's got it that you can't wear a tie. He's got some cowboy thing around them. He sounds seriously out to lunch. By the way, there's no dress code for women. Um, so a woman can go in. Famously, Ruth Richardson went in one time to vote in her tracksuit uh, late one night when they had an all-night sitting and caused a furore. Um, but she could, but a man couldn't. And there's other little funny rules about Parliament. You're, you're not to approach someone uh, within two sword lengths uh, because the Parliaments, they used to carry swords. And right, if you got within right. two sword lengths, they thought you might hit them. And um, so even now, you ask someone's permission to go and sit beside them and have a chat. Um, you don't just bowl up and sit beside someone and, you know, they could make a complaint to the speaker. Um, uh, but you are, you know, and there's, there's very strict rules. I asked the clerk, David McGee, he was, the, he was a Westminster, he was renowned right through the Commonwealth for his expertise in standing orders. And I asked him, what are all these rules for, Mr. McGee? And he said that they had to stop politicians talking. And it's quite funny because that's exactly what the rules do. You know, you could talk for 10 minutes, and now you shut up and sit down. You've had your say, and it's someone else's turn. So there are very strict rules in our parliament, and you can see that because you're debating things that are tough and hard. And um, so uh, you have to keep it respectful, even though you feel strongly about something and people are inflamed and impassioned. Um, now, with with MPs too, um, we've moved in, we used to not even have to declare a pecuniary interest register, but now we do, as we've seen uh, with Mr. Michael Wood, 
so there is increasing obligations upon MPs. Different story when you get to ministers, but you've got a question. Yeah. Um, what? Oh, I've actually forgotten the question. We'll have to edit this out. That was me talking. Um, with ministers, though, completely different scenario. With ministers, there's a huge standard and code of conduct about what you are allowed to do and what you're not to do. You're bursting with the question, Tane. Yeah, when you're talking before about the rules of the code of conduct and whatnot, there is quite a bit of heckling that goes on. In Parliament? From opposition MPs. Yes. Um, well, both sides. That's up, to, that's up to the Speaker. And um, heckling is is allowed, but if you overheckle, the speaker will just shut you down. So you can't drown out a speech. Uh, and if the person speaking complains, the heckler will be uh, controlled to desist. Most MPs like a bit of a heckling because it sort of keeps everyone awake and on their toes. And there are some fantastic, fantastic heckles. Um, the greatest one of all time for handling heckles was David Longy and Sir Robert Muldoon. Um, I'm just thinking of one that I can recall was David Longy was up speaking and um, someone called out that a thought had just crossed his mind and <laughs> David Longy said, not a very, fun, not a very long journey. Um, so, you know, it's part of the fun of Parliament to heckle. And, and to speak up, I imagine it's got a bit um, doleful and joyless now. But the point is, when you become a minister, it all changes. And you're given a manual of rules. And they are very, very strict. And you get advised on them. And you get told about them. And there's no way that you can be ignorant of them. And that's not a defence. And the reason that that has to be the case is because once you're a minister, you're in charge of a government department, probably several government departments, and their chief executive depends on you for their job. You can get them fired. And so you have the ability to influence a government department, to um, influence it to your business partners, to your family's advantage, um, to be a very, very bad, corrupt person without even realising it because of, oh, look, I've got a mate. Could you just go and help this mate for me? Or I even I have a constituent and he needs help. You can't do that as a minister, right, because you're the one in charge and so you're playing favourites. And so if you have a, a an electorate issue come to you uh, to do with your department, you pass it off to another MP to handle because you don't want to be caught in that conflict of interest. And it's also made very plain, because you're a decision maker, you know, you're making decisions on laws that could mean millions and millions of dollars to people, win or lose. Uh, you're making decisions on um, that will affect people's lives, you know, what's an essential business and not an essential business when COVID was going on. You're the minister, you're in the cabinet making those decisions, and of course it's very important that there be confidentiality and not giving someone a heads up about what's about to happen. Um, so as a minister, it becomes very, very significant, the standards of behaviour. 
And it's also impressed upon you that you're a minister 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's not a there's not a period when you're not a minister. You're sort of always a minister. We've seen a lot of fudging on that. Um, and it's quite a hard transition to make from being an MP where you're irresponsible. That is to say you're not responsible for anything other than speaking and maybe submitting a report in a select committee to being a minister where you're responsible for everything in your purview and you're also responsible for everything in the cabinet because you're a part of the cabinet. Um, And the behaviour that we've seen um, is truly shocking to me because I don't have a lot of respect for government and, and these things, but what we've seen is highly disrespectful to our country and, and to people, and, and I think that's been lost. Now, interestingly, the cabinet manual is enforced by the Prime Minister, and the Prime Minister decides whether someone's broken the rules or not, full stop. So it's not, there's no one else. So you could be in flagrant breach of the rules, and the Prime Minister say, oh, that's okay. Or you could be hardly in breach of the rules and the Prime Minister decide uh, that's unacceptable. And so the Prime Minister has absolutely, absolute power, tyrannical power over who is a minister and who is not. And so when when we see this with, um, what was the lady's name? I've forgotten it. Um, Alan, Kerry Allen, um, when we see that that behaviour, um, whether she stays as a minister or not, not as an MP or not, whether she stays as a minister or not is entirely on Mr Hipkins. Um, I should say, I feel upset about this issue that the whole thing hasn't been explained to us. I think there should be, from the Prime Minister, because it's a minister, he should be up there explaining, and that would be the purpose of that debate, to explain exactly what happened. Because we don't know, and it's significant. Why? Because she's a minister. And we we must know what she's, she's been exercising power in the Cabinet. And we don't know what's happened. We don't know what the significance of this. We don't know where they're gone. Um, and that the Prime Minister can sort of not give an explanation other than our oh, mental health episode. Um, that doesn't get a government off the hook. That was a government minister, my goodness. And the fact that the media aren't probing this means that we have sort of like a closed shop. And here's what I reckon. I reckon everyone in the media and everyone in Parliament and everyone in the cabinet knows exactly what happened. I suspect there's a lot more to it. But they're not going to tell us. And that's what you feel is happening now in our government and our parliament. Yeah, just there when you mentioned uh, media and their coverage of it, it just reminded me of something, and I just did a quick Google search to, to confirm it, but there's an article from ABC News in Australia which if you're not familiar, is more of a left-leaning outlet over there. And the way they've titled the article is New Zealand Justice Minister Kerry Allen resigns after car crash while 
allegedly over legal alcohol limit. Is it allegedly? I, th- I thought this was a known fact. Yeah, no? well, I, I thought it was a known fact. But we don't know whether she was alone in the car. We know that she didn't follow the police. Like, what was it? She refused to accompany the police. What was going on at that point? She's a Minister of Justice. At that moment, she is the Prime Minister's Minister of Justice. Now, the Minister of Justice refused to accompany the police. Why? What was going on? Where was she? We've seen that little video of the car crash and there's no police officer there, no Kerry Allen there, and it's still a dangerous situation. It was immediately following the accident, it would seem. No one was there. Where was she? Where were the police? What what were the circumstances of this? And I think there's quite a story there, and I think we're not being told because... Why? You're not allowed to ask questions? I understand she's not well, right? It's not good. But Prime Minister Hipkins, his Minister of Justice, has done, I don't know of anything worse in ever in the private life or behaviour of a minister than what has just occurred. I realise they make decisions that are far worse, right, as governments. But this is a shocker. I couldn't imagine an MP refusing to accompany the police. What on earth were the circumstances? And we deserve to know why. Because it's our government, not theirs. It's not the way it's being presented to us. There you go. I'm um, The behaviour of a minister is a big deal because they set the standard for the department. What are we saying to the Ministry of Justice officials now? that, you know, the minister doesn't follow the rules, you don't have to either? Where's the prime minister and stating very clearly that he expects his ministers to follow the law and not be above it? This minister clearly thought she was above it. Thank goodness that the police didn't agree with her. Because the police could have just said, oh, yeah, let her go, she's a minister. That might be the next step. Sure, yeah. That's yeah. how serious this is. And, I mean, imagine it. Imagine it that you crash a car as a minister and the police say, oh, yeah, we won't worry about this. It's a minister. Correct? And they say, then they say um, something really bad happens, money changes hands or whatever. Oh, well, it's a minister. Because, again, our prime minister hasn't explained why our minister of justice was breaking the law because that's what's happened here hmm. on several fronts, it would seem. But yeah, we don't know. Yeah. There you it's go. That's politics explained. Um, oh, my goodness. It's a bad one, but it's bad in a way that is not being explained to us or being presented to us. It's not just a personal circumstance for the minister concerned or the private citizen now as concerned or the MP finishing out her term concerned. It's a big issue for how we are governed and whether our ministers are above the law and whether our government has to follow the law. Let's get that straight. And let's get some full transparency about what was happening here. There you go. That was Politics Explained. You can see I'm a bit hot about this. I feel sorry for Kerry Allen because she's clearly, you know, got troubles. 
but I actually think there's a bigger picture here about our government. Uh, that was Tane Webster, Politics Explained. Send us an email, inbox at rallycheck.radio. Send us a text with your thoughts at 2057. I smell a big rat because when the government's not explaining something, they're hiding something. There you go. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Tane. Catch you later, Rodney. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. You're on Rally Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Oh, my goodness. Who would have believed it possible in New Zealand when the generation that went before us went off to war and they knew very clearly what they were fighting for. They were fighting for our freedom. And they understood very clearly that that included free speech. And I remember my father explaining to me that this is about free speech. And aren't we lucky in New Zealand because we have it? And, of course, we grew up under the cloud of communism. And we understood very clearly that in a communist country like the Soviet Union or China, North Korea, Cuba, the citizens didn't enjoy free speech. But here in New Zealand, we did. And we'd defend anyone's right to have their say because it wasn't whether we agreed with them or not. They were free citizens, free to have their say. And we didn't say to someone, oh, you saying that upsets me. Therefore, you can't say it. And yet here we are in a world now where we're about to be regulated in a way far tougher than the East Germans or the Russians had to endure under hardcore communism when they put a wall up to keep people inside and under the thumb. We've seen it in the media. The media are shut down to dissenting views. You can't write. You can't write an opinion piece questioning um, treaty principles or co-governance. You can't question gender ideology. You can't question the COVID cult. You can't question that we're about to all fry because of quote climate change. None of that is open for debate in our legacy media. You have to come to Twitter and to Rally Check Radio to have that debate. Well, the government hates it. They loved having the Prime Minister stand up at one o'clock and say, listen to me, I'm your one source of truth. What a tyrannical woman. What a tyrannical thing to say. But no one in the press gallery fell about laughing. The National Party and the ACT Party didn't fall about laughing at a tin pot would-be dictator standing up and saying, we're your one source of truth. And so here we are. The normally respectable, the normally sober, the normally conservative Department of Internal Affairs, our oldest government department, a grab bag of uh, things that governments do are held within that department. When I was local government minister, the Department of Internal Affairs, can you believe it, served something like 14 ministers because they did so many things. Well, they've come out with a proposal where there's going to be a, well, online censorship, but let's call it an, quote, independent regulator, ah, appointed by government, overseen by government, 
to control what we say online and to control what platforms can be online. To fine you if you say hurty things, upsetting things, things that the government doesn't want said. There is going to be, under this proposal, a ministry of truth. A government agency directed by government deciding what can and what can't be said online, on Facebook, on Twitter, in your blog posts. Probably by email, why not? And there's going to be a ministry of surveillance because they need to know what you and I are saying because you and I might be saying naughty things, questioning the vaccine, questioning COVID, questioning why farmers have to be shut down because methane, questioning why you can't drive your car because climate change, questioning why little Johnny's got to go off to school and hear that he could be a girl from the teachers, questioning that there are two treaties, this one and that one over there, translated to trick Maori because it said something different. No, it didn't. Questioning history as it's being presented, because we now have to suffer through, in the media, made-up history. All this is going to happen to us, to you, to me, to your family members, to your neighbours, to your community, to your children and to your grandchildren. Because I've never seen a government in the history of the world take control of what people can and can't say, give that power up peacefully. It doesn't happen. And that's the power that Internal Affairs is proposing for government. Ordinarily, you'd expect outrage from people. You'd expect outrage from the government. You'd expect outrage from the opposition. You'd expect outrage from the legacy media, crickets, because they're all on board with us because they saw how good it was through the COVID experience. Oh, wasn't that something? Not having to deal with dissent, being able to shut down experts who disagreed with us, being able to shut down people that were critical of us. We like that. And so we're going to make it official. And why restrict ourselves to COVID? Well, you got to Monday, ladies and gentlemen. I've just done it. It took me less than five minutes. I made a submission against it, and I just said, I can't believe I have to say this, but I'm in favour of free speech. I oppose everything in this document totally, and it should every bit of it be abandoned. Yours sincerely, Rodney Hyde, and I sent it in. I added my voice to the numbers. That's what, please, you need to do. You need to get your husband, your wife, your kids to do it. You need to get your neighbours to do it. You need to get your friends to do it. Why? Because once we've lost this, We've lost everything. And we won't easily get it back. The great generation fought and died for our free speech and suffered terribly. The least we can do is take five minutes and make a submission. Go to www.defendfreespeech.co.nz and do it, please for all our sakes. That's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. You're on Reality Check Radio.
please send me an email, inbox at realitycheck.radio, or text me, 2057. Unbelievable. We have to defend free speech. But thanks to my wonderful producer, Katie, we can do it easily. So please, make the effort. Five minutes. This is Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all the separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's been ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio. You're on Reality Check Radio. What a great show we've had. We've had Alia B from Voices for Freedom. My goodness, she's a very impressive lady. And we've had Catherine Innes Carter along. Very impressive the effort she's put into understanding what the government is proposing with, quote, an online regulator or the Ministry of Truth the single source of truth. Take your truth from us. Not only take your truth from us, but we will shut you down if you say anything that's counter our narrative. Because only we have the right to say what you can and can't say. They will be deciding it, and they will be surveilling us online to see that we're not being naughty. Can you imagine where this could end up? we'd all end up sort of under Kate Hanna. And anything that she disagrees with will be shut down. But like our newspapers and TV and radio, the old legacy media, got to stop it. We had Wally along talking pests and gardening. And whenever I hear Wally, I just want to go out gardening. And I so love it. It just gets me healthy in the head and in the body. And I just, love gardening, and I've never been a gardener before. And, of course, we had Tane along discussing politics. Thank you for listening. Please do remember to send me a text to 2057. Email me at inbox at reallycheck.radio. You can't text or email me enough. I just love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Thanks for being part of our Reality Check Radio community and joining in with Real Talk with Rodney Hyde and our wonderful guests. We truly are blessed 
to be in this wonderful country with these wonderful people. And we have to work hard and appreciate it to keep it and to make it better.